Today we continue with the book of Amos series and today is the second message. Justice is a major theme in the book of Amos. Sometimes you hear the word shalom uh, being used in greetings. Shalom means peace and justice is actually a big part of shalom because where there is justice, there is peace and prosperity. Justice is a crucial foundation to the well-being of our society and for each individual. The, but the word justice can mean different things to different people in different situations. And today I want to look with you into what does the Bible say about justice. There are two parts to today's message. First, I want to study with you what biblical justice is. What does it do? And secondly, I want to consider with you then what is our responsibility? What do we do? So let's read Amos chapter 4 and then we pray before we dive into today's message. Amos chapter 4. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that, behold, the days are coming upon you when, you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks. And you shall go out through the breaches, each one straight ahead, and you shall be cast out into Haman, declares the Lord. Come to Bethel and transgress, to Gilgal and multiply transgression, Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is living and proclaim free will offering. Publish them. For so you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord God. I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld rain from you. When there were yet three months to harvest, I would send rain on one city and send no rain on another city. One field would have rain and the field on which it did not rain would wither. So two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water and would not be satisfied. But yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I struck you with blight and mauled you. Your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees and your olive trees, the locusts devoured. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I killed your young men with sword and carried away your horses. And I made the stench of your camp go up into your nostrils. But yet... You did not return to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew some of you as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were as a brand plucked out of the burning. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to men what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth. The Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. 
Let's pray together. God, this morning, as we read your word, I pray first and foremost that we will receive a revelation of who you are, your character. And then I pray that God, through your word, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you will inform our mind of what's your will, that you will inspire our hearts as we learn what's on your heart, and that you will instruct our hands as we see what you are doing, so that we will be the vehicle that will carry your glory and your love and to reflect who you are to the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray. May all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. Biblical justice is first and foremost rooted in who God is. And he has many dimensions. One aspect we see from the book of Amos as we read the judgments is that biblical justice is reflective of God's heart to the vulnerable. God's desire is for Israel to be a nation, a people who will reflect his heart to care for the quartet of vulnerable, a term coined by Nicholas Wattelstove to describe the society's foremost defenseless people, the poor, the immigrants, the orphans, and the widows. But Israel did not do that. We read in Amos chapter 2, verse 6 to 7, this is what the Lord says, For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor and on the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. This completely defies what God said to Israel to do in Jeremiah 22, verse 3. Thus says the Lord, Do justice and righteousness. Deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. And do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the immigrants, the fatherless, the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. And then in Amos chapter 4, verse 1, we see God reprimanding the people in power. Amos said, Hear the word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. Now Bashan in Hebrew means fruitful. It is a land of fertile green pasture. The cows of Bashan therefore gives us a picture of people who are well-fed, strong and has no lack. Now Samaria is the political capital of northern Israel. So this verse is a picture of the influential and wealthy women and wives crushing the vulnerable. And they were complicit in the injustice perpetrated by their politically powerful husbands. And then in verse 4 and 5 we read, Come to Bethel and transgress, to Gilgal and multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leaven and proclaim free will offerings. Publish them and so you love to do. O people of Israel, declares the Lord. Now, Bethel means the house of God. It is where Jacob built an altar and where God revealed to him 
to Jacob personally the promise of Canaan land. Gilgal is the place where Joshua set up an altar of child stones to be a memorial of how God has brought them across the river Jordan into the promised land. So both Bethel and Gilgal symbolize the presence and the power of God. Both places of worship should have been a reminder to Israel how they were once defenseless foreigners and slaves in a land, a people with no possession, but a loving God brought justice and delivered them from slavery and gave them them a land flowing with milk and honey. In their worship, Israel ought to have remembered that God wants them to care for the vulnerable just like God had cared for them. However, Israel was outwardly devout to God, but inwardly devoid of God. That's why God said to them in Isaiah chapter 58, verse 6 to 7, It's not this kind of fasting I've chosen to lose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked, to clothe them and not turn away from from your own flesh and blood? Samaria represents the political. Bethel and Gilgal represent the spiritual. Both in the political and spiritual sphere, Israel did not look after the vulnerable. And so when we read in Amos, the hand of judgment, we must see the heart of the judge. God's heart cares very deeply for the vulnerable. Now this brings me to my second point of what biblical justice is. Biblical justice judges injustice. The judgments we read in Amos show that God will judge and he must address injustice. But why does he do that? He does so for the vulnerable. In Amos chapter four, verse one to three, we read, just now we read here, this is what you call Sebastian, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husband, bring that we may drink. And the Lord, the Lord's judgment is going to remove them. So we read, the, the Lord God has sworn by His holiness that behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks. And you shall go out through the breaches, each one straight ahead, and you shall be cast into harmony, declares the Lord. God's judgment removes the wicked in order to protect and prevent further harm to the vulnerable. And that's why we read in Psalm 146, verse 7 and 9, God who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, the Lord watches over the sojourners, he upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. So we see that judgment is also to provide for and look after the needs of the vulnerable. Now this brings me to my third point about biblical justice. Biblical justice is restorative. Biblical justice brings restoration to the victims of injustice. I think that's very clear, something that we all can accept and agree. But 
in God's mercy and in ways that we may not be able to fully grasp. God's restoration is also extended to the perpetrator's offenders as well. Verse 6 to 11 listed the judgments that happened and we read the words, yet you did not return to me, repeated five times in verse 6, 8, 9, 10, 11. So you can see that God's desire is for those who have done wrong to return back to Him. In Exodus chapter 33, verse 18 to 19, we see God revealing His glory to Moses. And we read in verse 18, Moses said, please show me your glory. And then in verse 19, and he said, that's God, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and show mercy to whom I will show mercy. Some of us can read this and see a God as someone who is unsympathetic and stingy with mercy. A God who is less merciful than us. But in reality, from my own experience, God is actually more merciful than you and I. I think some of you are more merciful than me, but you know, God is certainly more merciful than me. And He will have mercy on people whom we find it hard to extend mercy. God's desire is to give room for the, for the offenders to repent from their wrong, to return to Him, to rebuild lives and community they have broken and to be reintegrated into the society. When Archbishop Desmond Tutu led South Africa in the journey of reconciliation after the fall of apartheid in South Africa, he rejected two extremes. One, blanket amnesty. Two, every perpetrator to face tribunals as war criminals. He and his reconciliation committee opted for a third way, granting amnesty to individuals in exchange for a full disclosure relating to the crime for which amnesty was being sought. The third way was based on the concept of restorative justice. Desmond Tutu wrote, the central concern is the healing of breaches, the redressing of imbalances, the restoration of broken relationships, a seeking to rehabilitate both the victim and the perpetrator who should be given the opportunity to be reintegrated into the community he has injured by his offence. So restorative justice is concerned about the needs of both the victim and the offenders. It provides rep, uh, reparation of harm done. It seeks to bring healing to relationships and transformation to our society. So with the understanding of what is biblical justice, the next thing we need to ask is, then what is our responsibility? What do we do? James chapter 1, verse 27 says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, 
to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. James chapter 2, verse 26 says, faith without deeds is dead. When James said that faith without deed or works is dead, he's not contradicting the doctrine of justification by faith alone. John Calvin wrote, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. What he meant is that authentic faith is always accompanied by good works. And justice is really an outworking of justification. Freely we have received, the Bible tells us, freely we give. So it is our privilege and responsibility to partner with God, to actively participate in the work of biblical justice, to reveal to our world a God who is just, a heavenly Father who is compassionate. And I suggest three ways that we can do that. First is to practice giving. Amos chapter four, verse six says, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. This verse reminds us of other verses that talks about the blessing of giving and the ramifications of withholding. Proverbs 11 verse 24 says, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. In Proverbs 22 verse 16, it says, whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. Now, I'm not at all trying to use judgment in verse six to coerce us or to put fear into anyone to give. If you don't give, you will be judged. I'm not saying that. But what I do want is to highlight that giving is a big part of our relationship with God. Now, capitalism says that money belongs to you. Socialism says that your money belongs to the state. Communism says that your money belongs to everyone else. When I was going through this, someone said to me, money is relative. The more money you have, the more relatives you have. <laughs> but what does the Bible say? The Bible says that your money belongs to God, but it's entrusted to you as owner's steward. Capitalism, socialism, and communism put sharing with the needy on the horizontal level. So with socialism and communism, your money belongs to others and distribution to the needy is involuntary. With capitalism, money belongs to you and distribution to the needy will be voluntary. With the Bible, it teaches that sharing with the needy is of a vertical dimension. It is about your relationship to God and your response to His work in your life. Money belongs to God, but He has given to you. No one can forcefully take it away from you to give to the needy. And no one can guilt trip you to give. But as we walk with the Lord, He's constantly informing us of the needs around us 
inspiring our hearts to respond to those needs and instructing us on how we can give. And I want to take this opportunity to tell you how well you have done. Just like I said, when I read verse 6, it is not about telling you that God's judgment will fall on you if you don't give to the needy. All right? that, 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 that's not the way. Uh, in fact, I want to tell you how well you have done. There are many ministries and missionaries that you are supporting. And one of them is a youth ministry in Armadale called Impact Youth. And I want to read the thank you letter from the leader. Uh, just accepts of it. Dear Faith Community Church, I would like to send our sincere thanks and humble appreciation for the generous love donation given to Impact Youth Armadale this year. And we would like to thank you for the use of the van during the year. This has enabled us to transport teens to outreach events and functions we would otherwise not be able to. Thank you again for blessing us so greatly and uh, help us to build our confidence and know that we are not in this alone and help us to know that our God is truly great. So blessings to each of you uh, for your faithfulness and we look forward with excitement for all that God is going to do in this area together. Another uh, ministry that UFCC has been supporting is Eagles City Mission the, uh, that ministers to the homeless. This year, FCC has over uh, 200 people who have participated, uh, participated in one way or another to serve the mission. You spend a week for those who are involved just to prepare and then you give your weekend to cook and to be at their service. Uh, so when I share this message today, it is not to tell you that you haven't done enough, but to let you know how much so many of you have been giving. And my prayer is that God will continue to bless you abundantly. And as you receive more, you will be able to give and do even more. And may the Lord continue to enlarge our capacity to minister to the vulnerable. Uh, when I was a youth pastor, one time I participated in a program to help juvenile delinquents as a counselor. And during a chit-chat session, uh, we asked the question, what is your goal as a social worker? What do you really want to achieve with what you are doing? So when it came to my turn, I said that I want to work myself out of the job. When I have no more job as a pastor or a social worker, I think I've done my job. And I really believe, I have this dream in my heart that we can change the world. And I really believe that we can. If we sacrifice enough, if we work hard enough, if we plan intentionally enough, if we strategize smart enough, we can change our world. Uh, I really believe it in my heart. But now I'm older. No longer a youth pastor. Over the years, I've learned this. The dream is achievable, but it is like what the Bible tells us, it is not by power, nor by might, but only by the Spirit of God. And this brings us to my third point, and that is that we must pray and fight spiritually. When I have this dream in my heart as a young man, uh, I did all I could to 
serve God and to reach people. Like I say, now I'm older, uh, I've learned uh, much more about how dreams can be achieved, how God's vision in our lives can be achieved. But this is something I've learned. And I just want to say this to those who are younger or feel that you are still younger. Uh, the dream that God has put in your heart, that you can change the world. Don't let anyone discourage you that it cannot be done. Because I think to myself, what is the purpose of my life on earth if I can't change the world? By the power of God, it can be, it must be, it will be. And I have a word for those of you who feel that you are older now and have grown older like me. The dream that God has put in your heart when you were younger, that you can change the world, don't let it disappear from your life. Hold it in your heart. Know that you can still do something as you partner with God to change this world. You know, we sometimes say uh, in the kingdom of God, there's no retirement. We don't retire, we only refire. Uh, one day I will retire in the sense that I will retire from salary work. But when it comes to the word of God, I will never retire. But this is also what I pray. I pray that I will never need to be refired because I hope that the fire of God that he has put in my heart will stay with me as long as I'm on this side of heaven. So keep this fire, keep this dream, keep this vision, keep this faith in your heart. But we want to pray and fight spiritually for the vulnerable because there are things that can be only achieved supernaturally. Amos chapter 4, verse 10 and 11 says, I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I overthrew some of you as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, Egypt is a reminder of the brutal slavery and oppression that Israel suffered. They could never, Israelites themselves could never have delivered themselves out of that slavery through any amount of human effort. For Sodom and Gomorrah, Ezekiel chapter 16 verse 49 tells us what was happening there. It says, now this was the scene of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. It reminds us about the cows of Bashan, right? They did not help the poor and needy. In both cases, Egypt and Sodom and Gomorrah, divine intervention came to deal with injustice. You cannot negotiate with Pharaoh. You cannot do anything to reform Sodom and Gomorrah. You need something supernatural. In many places today, injustice and poverty are systemic. And it is not just a political or social structure issue. It is spiritual and we need divine intervention. A country I went to as a young boy for a mission trip, uh, I saw huts and homes built along the sides of a muddy river in the city. Uh, they did not have electricity and it, was, it would be pitched up in the night and whatever water they need to do whatever they need to do, they take it from the river. In another country I went to while driving in the night, I saw um, 
bums or lumps on the road everywhere. So I asked uh, a friend beside me, the local, I said, what are those? And he said to me, there are people sleeping on the streets. And they are just countless of them. I visited a dump site in another country uh, for the first time many years ago, and I saw that the dump site was actually a home to many families, a place where children were born and raised. And when I went there to interact with the people, the image and the memory is still very confronting because when I look at the people, they look very at ease and just living life as per normal, as normal in a dump site. And it grieves my heart because how am I going to tell them that actually this is not the way God has designed you to live? You can live with clean water. You can live without worrying about, I mean, they, they, they aren't even worried. You know, if they, have no, if they have no food, they have no food. <laughs> you know, how am I going to tell them that this is not the way uh, that God has designed you to live? But on the other hand, if I tell them, this is not the way that God has designed you to live. You know, God is your wonderful provider. He's your, he's your, he's your Jehovah Jireh. I bring up all the biblical theology and tell them that God wants to look after you. What, what, am I, how, what am I supposed to do? What can be done to elevate the poverty that they are experiencing? You know, when you go to some countries that are very humid, and you say, oh man, I can feel the air is very heavy, right? And in those countries, you can literally feel the weight of poverty in the air. Uh, Maybe in other countries, and even locally, as you participate in local missions, uh, serving, in dif serving different people in different localities, and even maybe in your own area of work. I'm sure many of you have seen situations that you know that the enormity of the problems requires you to pray and fight spiritually, because the thing that can break oppression is a supernatural intervention. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 tells us that we, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 says that the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So as you hear this message, Maybe you feel a burden in your heart for a person, a family, a city, or a certain group of people. Uh, we commit ourselves to pray for them. As we practice giving and uh, pray to fight spiritually, and as we serve the vulnerable, whether in our work or when we participate in a missions program, our aim is to point our world to our Heavenly Father. This is my third and last point on what is our responsibility. Amos chapter 4, verse 13 says, For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and threats on the heights of the earth. The Lord, 
the God of hosts is His name. Amos 4 ends with a focus on God, our Creator, who is sovereign and powerful. Now, how one sees this verse and God depends on whether they are the offenders or the victims. For the offenders, they may see a God who is a fearsome punisher. For the victim, they see a God who is a faithful protector and provider. Amos 4 lands with pointing Israel to God. In our work for biblical justice, it is mission, it's mission critical to point our world to God. Matthew 5 verse 16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We, be, we, we begin with biblical justice is reflective of God's heart to the vulnerable. And our ultimate mission in all that we do, therefore, is to point our world also to an all-powerful and compassionate Heavenly Father. As Christ followers, our good deeds are not meant to point to how good we are or how good the deed is, but how good God is. We do not preach good works, we preach the gospel. Because it is not the power of good works, but the power of the gospel, not the power of a good person's name, but the power of the name of Jesus that saves and delivers. Many years ago, I, have, uh, have the, I had the opportunity to work with World Vision in Cambodia through a local church. They opened up a new position and recruited someone to be their Christian witness coordinator. So it is for their new strategy to plant a church in every place they do a project. So I was brought to a village where they have completed building, uh, uh, they have completed building a waterway through, through it. So you can imagine the benefits it brings to the villages economically. I mean, the property prices all went up. And also for the quality of life. And in that village, they also built a church uh, and they partner with local churches to place a pastor in that church. They told us the reason, World Vision. They say that they have, new, they have this new strategy because they recognize two things. One, only the power of the gospel can transform hearts and bring lasting change to a community. And two, as they meet earthly needs, there is still a life in eternity with Christ they must never forget to give. So let's recap as we land this message. Biblical justice is reflective of God's heart for the vulnerable. And it must judge injustice to drive out wickedness and wicked plans and protect the vulnerable. It is restorative both for the victims and offenders. And then what is our responsibility? What do we do? We practice giving and you have been so generous to do that. We generously give our, of our time, our treasure, material resources, and talents to serve. We pray and fight spiritually for supernatural breakthroughs. And finally, in all that we do, we seek to point our world to our Heavenly Father. So once again, as I close, I want to thank you so much for giving so generously, so faithfully, so passionately. I pray that as you give, you will receive more. And then as the Lord enables us to give more, may He enlarge the sphere of our influence for His kingdom. May our missional work 
touch every corner of our society, every family, every institution, every individual life until we see our nation and the nations totally transformed by the power of God and the power of the gospel. May all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. Praise God. Just want you to close your eyes for a few moments and let's pray. First, I just want to speak to those who may not know Jesus or you have drifted far away from God. And this morning, as you hear this message, God is speaking to your heart. And somehow in your heart, you are saying that God, I do not know you, but this morning, you are so real to me. And if, and if you have not invited God or Jesus into your heart, this morning is your opportunity. And I just want to give you the opportunity to respond to how God is speaking to you. And if you say you want to open your heart to Jesus, you want to invite God into your life, all I need you to do is on the count of three to just lift up your hand where you are sitting. And then when I see that hand, I know who I am praying for and praying with. So one, two, three. If God is speaking to you, you want to open your heart to Jesus from where you are seated, just raise your hand. Anyone in this place? Just gonna wait for a few moments. Okay, I just want to also want to uh, pray for those of you who feel that you may have experienced injustice in areas of your life. Maybe, you know, it's really not about you being uh, the vulnerable that we mentioned in the message, but in your workplace, wherever you are, maybe you have suffered pain, you have suffered injustice, and you're struggling, and this morning you want someone to pray with you. What I'm going to do is, I'm just going to pray and release you with a benediction, but as the people go, the leaders are going to be in front, and I just want to open this uh, space for you to come and have someone pray with you. So can I ask you to just all stand up, and just let me pray over you, and then I'll release you. God, we just want to thank you for your goodness towards us. And now, may the love of God our Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the sweet presence and the power of the Holy Spirit be with you always. And may you be a vehicle that will, that will carry God's glory and love to the world around you and point the people around you to the power of God and the power of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. May all of God's people say, Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand of praise. Amen.